Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me, as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's up? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of sad this week. I, I feel like uh, a little bit down because of what I, I think a lot of our listeners probably know, but but not all of them necessarily, your announcement on Twitter this week that, that you will no longer, um, at least in the long run, be covering the Timbers and uh, ultimately being on this podcast. Uh, so I, I, I feel I'm a little bit sad this week. It, it's still fun to talk soccer in Portland, but uh, there's a there's a hint of, yeah, sadness around it. I definitely have that hint of sadness, too. Uh, it, it is true. Um, I am retiring at the ripe old age of 32 uh, from Timbers coverage. Mostly, I just wanted to be able to say I retired from something at the age of 32. Uh, no, uh, you know, I, I, I've gotten to the point I've known for a while that this was going to be my last season uh, covering the Timbers and, 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 and doing the podcast just because I've got, you know, some big life changes kinds of things happening over the course of the year. Uh, but we're going to necessitate that at some point. Um, but you know, I mean, just over the course of the, uh, of the season, I've kind of just had this growing feeling that I've kind of said what I have to say and I've written what I've had to write. Um, and, and, and it's just been more of a grind, you know, back when I started doing this, not just this, but, you know, covering and writing about the timbers and, and especially when I started doing it more formally back in 2013, when I, when I started going and, and, and doing it from a more traditional media end, I sort of just set myself a, a hard and fast rule uh that you know when the day came that i started dreading going to timbers games when the day came that that and you know dreading is probably a too dramatic of a word but you know when i wasn't looking forward to it and, and when it wasn't fun for me anymore uh then i had to quit and you know this isn't to say that I, i've been dreading going to games by any means but but it, it has gotten to me sort of to a place where i I just feel like I'm having more of a pull just to go back and be a fan again. Uh, and, and, and yeah, just from the writing end, it's been harder for me recently. Uh, and that's always kind of a sign. Um, but yeah, and that's, that, that is not at all a reflection that I don't enjoy doing this podcast with you because I adore working with you, Jamie. Uh, it's been so much fun. Uh, and I definitely have that sadness because we've done a lot of like really fun things over the course of the years. Uh, both on the podcast and in the press box. And and, and it's been, uh, you know, a more fun experience and a, and a more interesting experience than I ever could have possibly imagined uh, when, it, when I started doing it. But, you know, I, I kind of feel like I got to that point. Uh, that said, we're not, this isn't a, an immediate thing uh, for my writing on Stumptown Footy and sort of my formal coverage of the Timbers and the press box and the like, uh, that is going to end after the Seattle game uh, later this this month in a couple weeks. Uh, as far as the, the podcast goes, we are, it is going to keep going. Soccer Made in Portland will live. It will outlive me, something that makes me very happy. Uh, but uh, exactly who will be in this chair is, is to be determined, but I will be here and doing the podcast still with Jamie until there is somebody else here doing the podcast with Jamie. When that happens, we'll we'll let you know. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I'll just take this opportunity. Well, I'm sure we'll talk more about it next week or, or for, you know, whenever the, the time of my last episode comes, but just to thank you all. I, I mean, it, it's been so much fun uh, having a good listener base, having Jamie as a great host, Michael or before, uh, before you, uh, as a co-host, I mean, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of the folks that have, 
that have built this podcast over multiple iterations now with Michael and Kelly McLean and you and me and uh, and now, you know, whoever is next. Uh, yeah, you know, it has been great to play this part of it. Uh, and, and, you know, our, our listeners, folks who submit questions and who, uh, interact with us on Twitter and on OregonLive.com and on Stumptown Footy, uh, have made it that. So thank you all. Uh, we're not done yet. So as I've been saying, don't throw dirt on me just yet, uh, <laughs> because I've still got some work to do. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm, you know, since I, I made this decision and it's something I've been thinking about for a while, but since I made the decision, the feeling is, is I can only compare it. The only thing in my life that I can compare it to really is I've, I ran a few marathons after college and when I was in law school um, and three marathons to be exact, a few, like it, it's the least number of <laughs> that a few can possibly be, um, you know, and, and a marathon is a grueling experience, right? There, <laughs> there's a lot of it that's a grind. Hey, I loved it. Uh, and, and, and they're fun. Um, but, you know, it's it's a really challenging experience. And there are a lot of miles uh, in a marathon in which you feel like you feel like crud <laughs> uh, because they're really hard. Uh, lo and behold, when you run 26.2 miles. But there, you know, in each of the three marathons that I ran and, and this, by the way, like there's an offshoot into the most embarrassing story of my life uh, from this that maybe you can pry out of me at some point. But you, when you when you cross the 26-mile barrier and you've got just like sort of that last point to, you just shift into a different space. And you're still running hard. You're still, you know, you got to finish out the race. You're still, frankly, in a lot of pain. But I've also always just, just started having this sort of overwhelming feeling of enjoying the heck out of it and sort of gratitude for the experience. And that's exactly, exactly how I feel. Uh, about these last couple of weeks. I'm just enjoying the heck out of, you know, I'm, I'm doing a major piece for Stumptown Footy that I'm hoping uh, and thinking is going to be published tomorrow. Uh, we're recording on Wednesday. I'm hoping is going to be published on Thursday, finishing that off. And I've just been loving the experience of it, doing this podcast and doing it for the next few weeks, just loving it. And so, um, yeah, uh, you know, I, I feel great about all of that. Uh, I cannot wait <laughs> also uh, to get back down in the stands. So that's where I am with all of that. Uh, that went on probably longer than it needed to. But nonetheless, that is where I am with all of that. Um, and yeah, we also have soccer to talk about. Oh, but we did have a question from from Matt, who, by the way, I think kicks probably both of our answers butts in this because he posted a picture of him in somewhere magnificent. I don't know where it is, embarrassingly, uh, but he, he is somewhere in a stunningly beautiful desert with an amazingly beautiful butte behind him. And Matt just wants to know, Maybe in a way in which he's rubbing it in a little bit. How did you guys spend your bye week, Jamie Goldberg? <laughs> well, I watched the Utah uh, Thorns game. So right, right. Really it was only sort of like a half in. bye week, right? Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't feel like I did much. It was unfortunate. We got all the warm weather during the week, and then the actual weekend was sort of uh, lousy. Um, I definitely took advantage of the warm weather during the week and, and got out to some food trucks and I. Uh, uh, there's a new food truck pod near sort of near my house with a brew little brewery attached to it scout beer um not too far away that we made the drive out to and hung out there so i just tried to enjoy the weather i, I think on the actual weekend uh, i was mostly just watching the thorns and, and staying in because the weather wasn't quite as nice yes I, I spent a good chunk of it working on this piece for stumptown footy that's been something i've been working on for a couple months sort of going into the very nitty gritty, going, taking a deep dive on, uh, on, uh, sort of how the, the Timbers technical staff, the, you know, 
known as some, some folks call it the front office, Gavin Wilkinson, Ned Grabovoy and his team, how they go through the process of putting together a transfer window and signing players. So uh, I did some work on that, but I too uh, went out and, and enjoyed the weather. Uh, you know, otherwise it's uh, in our household, it's kind of all Jerry all the time right now. Um, the cutest thing he has done over the course of the, this period of good weather, which he adores, um, is, you know, with all the blossoms and stuff uh, like that falling right now and, and, a, and a couple of breezy days, he has taken to when he's out on a walk, he I, I sort of call him a hunter uh, of blowing of blossoms blowing in the wind because he just like if we're out on a walk and he sees a, a blossom go by, he has to attack it, uh, which has been adorable. He's almost taken me out a couple of times, but like I can't like I, I, I haven't gotten tired of it yet uh, because it's just pretty funny to see this dog like basically hunting uh cherry blossoms um but yeah so that's what i did uh i i definitely can't uh can't match matt's uh experience over the course of the bye week uh but hey i got a new puppy so i'm pretty happy um injury report speaking of happy uh some happy news on the timbers front uh when it comes to injuries jamie b goldberg you're the reporter here you have uh all the late breaking information on this what do we know about vitas uh david guzman and bill tuiloma yeah it looks like all three of them returned to training this week um uh, savaresi said at his press conference earlier this week that they were all in full training and they would have to evaluate them later in the week to determine their availability and also just to determine what 18 they want uh, for the San Jose game now that they have, uh, it looks like, knock on wood, that they're getting close uh, to full health at this point. Um, I would be a little bit cautious in assuming that all three of these guys are going to be back this weekend. Guzman has been out for, I think, about a month. Uh, Vitas has been out for a while. I would guess even if they're returning to training, they might need some time to work their way up in terms of fitness. And these aren't guys you necessarily want to bring in off the bench um, so Tui Loma obviously is, uh, I don't think that fitness factor is going to come into play. He was only out really a week, a week or two weeks. Um, although I, I'm not necessarily sure if he'll be back in the lineup just because of personnel decisions, uh, given Ridgewell's performance last week, but, uh, it's a good sign to see all of the back. Um, if they're not in this weekend, it seems like they're definitely moving in that right direction. And, and it sounds like they're healthy. I, I think if they're not, it's going to be more of a fitness thing. Yeah, it definitely seems like it's going to be more of a fitness thing. But I, I agree with your point about sort of uh, not only just, just sort of health and fitness, but also about, uh, you know, whether they'll be selected. Uh, and I think those are those are questions for, frankly, all three of those guys. Um, but Joe uh, sort of talking about this or, or about issues related to this with these next couple of questions. We're jumping right to the questions, by the way, because the Timbers didn't, you know, have a game. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to drop the questions in here. And Joe sort of is, is a is a good offshoot point from here uh, with Zarek Valentin seemingly having having taken over the number two spot at left back question query even whether it's the number two spot or the number one spot and where Vitas uh, you know uh, sort of gets his foot into the pecking order what do you think Marco Farfan is up to as well uh, do you think Gio has lost confidence in Farfan and, and do you think we're likely to see him with T2 I, I think that with all three of those guys we're going to see a, a competition um, then we're going to see that continue to happen I, I can't exactly say it at this point I, I like you just said I'm not totally sure if Vitas immediately comes back and moves into that number one spot or if he has to earn that if, if Valentin keeps that uh, number one spot for a little bit at left back um, I, I think Marco's right there in the mix I don't think Gio's lost confidence I, I just think as Vitas gets healthy as Valentin has given 
Savaresi what he's needed in that position as the Timbers have been trying to turn things around. There, there just hasn't been a spot for Marco to really play much of a role at this moment. So I definitely don't think it's a comes down to a loss of confidence. But if within the situation, if if we see, which I think is very possible, that those three guys are competing for that um, the number one and and two positions at left back. And Marcos just ends up being number three. Yes, I, I, I think that we would see him at T2. I, I think that Savarese would want to continue to get uh, Marco Farfa in minutes because I, I think the club and Savarese as well think highly of him and his potential um, and, and have clearly given him opportunities because they believe he's pretty close uh, to ready uh, to play, to potentially play an important role at the MLS level. So wouldn't be shocked to see him at T2, but I also do expect that we will see Marco Farfan getting some minutes, uh, maybe not this week, maybe not next week, but at some point this season. Yeah, I definitely, you know, like me, I'm not throwing dirt on Marco Farfan by any means. He is not, by the way, uh, in the lineup for T2's matchup against uh, against uh, uh, Sacramento, uh, for, against Sac Republic this, this evening. Um, so that would suggest that he is in contention with, with the first team because, I, you know, I mean, he is exactly the kind of guy where if he's not going to be sort of in contention uh, to be in, in the team uh, with the first team, he is exactly the kind of guy that would be playing for T2. And I think he will get some minutes for T2 this year to make sure that he does get you know, sort of that critical mass of minutes that he needs to develop. But I also definitely don't think he's sort of out of contention when it, when it comes to even earning minutes with the first team. And look, you know, Farfan definitely had some, you know, I guess it's fair to say difficult moments and some, some poor performances uh, over the course of the stretch of the season in which he was playing a decent amount uh, over that first part of the season. He, he, you know, had some rough outings. But I don't think they were disastrous outings by any means, and I don't think it was such the, that he sort of played himself out of Savarese's plans. I think maybe the biggest factor that is that is keeping him, you know, behind Valentin and maybe even behind Vitas uh, at this point, although we don't really know with Vitas because we really haven't seen him in with the first team in the regular season this year, is the instability across the rest of the back line. I, I think that is by far the biggest factor. Uh, when it comes to not having Farfan at left back right now. And, and look, I mean, it's it's hard to to blame Gio if his thinking is, look, I don't love the stability that I've had at left center back or at right center back or frankly, even at right back over the course of the season. And when you have that much instability at those other spots, it's a tough position to put a guy like Marco Farfan, who's going to make some mistakes uh, into. You're going to want to have those other positions pretty well nailed down if you're going to really be able to to feel like you're putting Farfan in a position to succeed. And so I think this is much, much less, much, much more about that than it is Gio losing confidence in him. I agree with you. Uh, he very much still looks like he has a great shot uh, to be a left back of the future. Uh, and, and I think we will see him again this year. But right now it's understandable why he may want sort of a, a, a more reliable, consistent veteran presence at, at left back uh, over sort of a young uh, upside presence. SPH wants to know, is the impact of Liam Ridgewell and David Guzman returning to the starting 11 a positive or a negative? Will they return to the starting 11? Uh, first of all, I guess is the, is the first question to that. Is it a positive or a negative? And at this point, do you think the, the veteran presence the, that they bring to the table uh, better than what they would get from letting Tuiloma and Paredes develop in their respective positions? Jamie? I think I have to separate these out a little bit um, from my perspective. I feel like it's not a, a guarantee that the, both those players will return to the, the starting 11 and particularly this weekend. I am actually will be surprised if we see goose on in there, given 
uh, the amount of time he was out. I, I really think that the Timbers are going to have to build some fitness with him before making a decision as, as to whether to play him or Paredes. Also, if Gio does use uh, the formation with three defensive midfielders again, um, there won't be a competition. I mean, Guzman and Paredes would both be in there. And that is a possibility, while I don't think that's going to be the Timbers' primary formation going forward. I, I think to to start with Ridgewell, I, I think that Ridgewell earned his to earn his spot in the starting lineup um, with his performance against NYCFC. And, and given how well the Timbers did in that game, how comprehensive a performance they put in, I think it would, would not make any sense to make a change, um, particularly at a key position where, where you have a player like Ridgewell that did so well in that game. I, I think you want to keep things as consistent as possible from that match and, and try to see if they can build off that performance. We've seen that when Ridgewell plays at his best, he makes the Timbers a, a whole lot better on defense. And so, well, I think it's important to get um, Tuiloma time to develop, and I, I think they should try to get him minutes this year. If Ridgewell's performing and whatever issues behind the scenes, scenes are, we can have been um, put uh, in the rearview mirror, I, I think that he needs to be in the lineup um, because of what he can offer to this team is really important uh, this season if he is playing at his best. So I don't expect to see Tui Loma come back in at least immediately. I think Savarasi will give Ridgewell the chance to to continue showing what he showed against NYCFC. Um, and look, the Timbers were averaging uh, two goals, conceding two goals a game up until the NYCFC uh, clean sheet. So if Ridgewell is going to be the guy that helps him get more clean sheets and helps prevent them from uh, giving up two goals a game moving forward, he needs to be on the field. With Paredes, it's a little bit, I'm a little bit more conflicted on that. I think Guzman had a few rough performances in the beginning of the year. I think a lot of people on the team did as well. He's clearly shown well for the Timbers um, uh, during his time here and obviously brings that veteran presence. I think Paredes has done well enough, though, to earn that spot and to stay in the midfield. And I think that's going to be a tougher competition because Paredes is developing, but is also contributing right now with, with the level he's at right now. And I'm not sure that it's that obvious to say Guzman, just because he's healthy, immediately beats him out. Um, so I think that's going to be a little bit more of a competition. And it would make sense, maybe more sense, to, to leave Paredes in in that case because... A, he does have the opportunity to develop. He is going to have to play an important role when Guzman goes away to the World Cup. Um, and he's already contributing a lot right now. It, we've talked a little bit about different factors involved in this. You might want to get Guzman some minutes before the World Cup. So we might see both of them or maybe Guzman coming in for a little bit and then Paredes uh, taking over the role, role when he leaves for the World Cup. I, I think it's a lot more complicated, but then there's no, a number of factors for that one. But of the two um, kind of competitions going on there, I, I think that's the tougher one. I agree with you. Uh, you know, I, I think everything you said pretty much hits the nail on the head. And yeah, I mean, the, the Guzman question is a difficult one. Part of it is it's a difficult one because of we don't see the, the full picture. We don't know exactly when he's going to be leaving uh, for, Co for Costa Rica. It's possible it could be after the Seattle game at the earliest, uh, probably more likely after the LAFC game. Uh, on, on the 19th, it could even be, uh, after the, uh, the game at Colorado on the 26th. Uh, so we don't really know when, when that camp is starting it, it, 
I would think it would be either of the latter of those two, either after LAFC or, or, or Colorado. But look, I mean, if it's after LAFC, you know, I would have a hard time thinking he would be ready for much more than maybe 30 or 45 minutes this weekend. I'm actually a little bit surprised we don't we have we aren't seeing him with T2 tonight uh, because that would be a good way to get him minutes if they were really shooting to get him back in the Timbers lineup before he heads off to Costa Rica. Uh, so I would be a, a little bit surprised given the length of his layoff being, you know, a good <laughs> 22 plus days, uh, to, uh, to the, if he's ready to play much more than 45 minutes at this point, you know, maybe by next week he's, he's at a point in his fitness and he, and he's sort of, sort of come around to where he's ready to start a game, but whether he'd be ready to go 90 at that point, I think is a real question. You don't really want to be required to make a substitution in defensive midfield, uh, so, you know, I mean, that could call his status for the Seattle game, even into question. Then you're at LAFC. Maybe, you know, you would certainly think he'd be ready to go and play 90 by, uh, that point still a, a couple weeks out. Uh, but look, I mean, you know, I mean, then you're one or two or maybe no games away from when he leaves, uh, for the world cup. So I, I think that is one that we don't really see the full picture. I do think the Timbers would like to get him some playing time before the world cup if they could, but whether that's worth, you know, bringing Paredes off for a game or two, I think is a, is, is a question that I would very much be of two minds about uh, and whether that is even going to be practical. I, I just don't know the answer to that. So I think that's a, that's a difficult one to answer at this point as to whether he will be as to whether the, that veteran presence is preferable to letting Paredes develop. I, I think the only basis, the, the only reason why I would say maybe is because of the, 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 you know, incentive to drive his value of it before the world cup and, and to drive his, get you know, get, get him fit and back playing again before the world cup to drive his value. If this were simply a, a cut and dry matter of who would I rather the Timbers play right now, it's Christian Paredes every single day of the week. Um, uh, you know, as, as for Ridgewell, look, we saw last week that Ridgewell is just when Ridgewell is engaged and Ridgewell is committed and Ridgewell is in form, he's just better than Bill Tuiloma right now. I mean, Liam Ridgewell is, when he's all of those, those things, a good defender, a good MLS defender. Uh, and, 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 you know, I mean, all of those things are a problem. And when he's healthy, uh, all of those things have been a challenge. Um, but look, I mean, when, when he's dialed in, he's just better than Bill Tuiloma and, and quite a bit better, such that I think the back line really doesn't do, you know, it really misses him when he's either out of form, uh, not healthy, or, or not committed. That said, Bill Tuiloma is going to get some playing time this season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, Liam Ridgewell is not going to play every single game. I mean, if you want this to be my hot take, this is about the coldest hot take ever. Liam Ridgewell is not going to play every game between now and the end of the season. That's just not going to happen. His injury history is what it is. We've already seen it, maybe probably, I think, uh, this, this year, uh, in, in a couple instances. And I would be absolutely flabbergasted if we don't see, you know, if we don't see it again. Um, and so Bill Tuiloma is going to get those minutes. He's going to get opportunities to, to, to sort of prove, uh, that he's ready to take another step forward. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I don't doubt that he's going to be a guy that, that's going to be in contention to be in the Timbers plans going forward. But if Ridwell's dialed in, I, I, I think it's a no-brainer. Patrick wants to know thoughts on Andres Flores's play to date, a guy that we haven't talked about a ton, uh, but Patrick wants to know our thoughts. Did you anticipate this much playing time for Flores uh, at this point of the season? What do you think, Jamie? No, I, I didn't anticipate this much playing time. I, I kind of expected him to be uh, not even your first guy off the bench, like your second, third, fourth 
uh, guy in the midfield not not a player that's going to see a ton of playing time but might get some minutes here or there his performance and his amount of playing time has exceeded my expectations and um, that might speak to the fact that I didn't know a lot about him before he got here because um, I don't think Gio is just putting him in uh, because you know he knows him I think overall Flores has done quite well uh, he's been able to come in and play the role that's asked of him he's been able to provide crosses uh, I think he must have at least one assist um, and he's been able to fill in the system that Gio needs so I think he's done pretty well um, I don't see him uh, winning uh, ultimately winning a starting spot or I, I don't I think the Timbers have other talented midfielders that should be above him ultimately on the depth chart it's hard to tell exactly what the Timbers are going to do in, in terms of their for, formation and system. And that obviously is a factor. Um, but I think he's a better depth piece than, than I realized going into the season. Yeah. He's already got a couple assists on the season, one at Chicago and then the other uh, on Sebastian Blanco's opener last week uh, or in, in the last game against New York city FC. Look, it, you know, it, I can sum up uh, my views on Andres Flores very succinctly. Of course, I won't. I'm going to explain them afterwards. Uh, but I could if I wanted to. He's midfield Zarek Valentin. He is a, a really reliable, really well-rounded player that doesn't have any sort of, any sort of strengths that jump out at you that, that, that are extraordinary, but also really doesn't have that many weaknesses to his game. Uh, who can play multiple positions in midfield, as we've seen, can play in a central midfield role, in a surprise to me, can can play pretty well uh, in, as a true wide midfielder, as he as he did against NYCFC. He defends well. Uh, he's pretty clean on the ball. Uh, he he he's committed both ways. Uh, he he can provide some playmaking for you. I you know I mean I, I think this is a guy that you know if you were to look around MLS, you wouldn't say he's you know necessarily he's an above average sort of starter. Uh, at any of those positions, but you probably wouldn't say he's a much below average starter uh, or, 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 or player, at least at, at many of those positions. I, I think he is, a, you know, like Valentin, <laughs> a, a really, really important kind of player for a team to have. Because he is the guy that, you know, if you have a drop in form, if you have an injury, uh, you know, if something happens to one of sort of the primary players that you have slated into your ideal starting eleven. He's exactly the kind of guy that can be there and be like, all right, you know, a, a couple of wrong steps and I can step in and, and competently fill this position. And I can do that at multiple positions. Um, I think, you know, and so I agree with you. I think his his performance to date has largely been good. Uh, I, I don't know if I would say it's been excellent, uh, but it, it's been good. It's been reliable. It's been very consistent. Uh, and, and I think he is deserving of a lot of credit for that. So. You know, was I expecting him to have this much playing time uh, at this point? Probably not this much. Probably not. You know, I, I think he's had three, maybe two starts uh, already. I probably didn't expect two or three starts at this point uh, of the season. But look, I mean, even in watching pre preseason, I, I think I, I, you know, tweeted at some point that it, that in just watching him, he looked like the kind of guy that would get, you know, five starts, but make 25 appearances for the, for the team over the course of the season that he would be a regular sub can be a sub in, in multiple circumstances. If you want him as an attacking sub, he can come on for a D mid. Uh, if you want him to be a defending sub, he can come on for an attacking midfielder, uh, either, uh, centrally or, or, or wide. Uh, you know, he's a guy that, that can do a lot of different things for you. And I did think he was going to have just based on what we saw in preseason, 
uh, a bit of a roll. So, you know, I, I well claim to, to have foreseen that much. This much, uh, getting the, the, this, having this much of a roll, I don't think I would have called now. Hot take segment to be named later. Jamie Goldberg, uh, you were the, you're the one with the best hot take of the week, so you're leading off. Go for it. Um, if anyone was following, if anyone was in Utah or following the coverage in advance of the Thorns Utah Royals game, uh, the most interesting thing that that was going on is that the Utah Royals supporters group, uh, I think they go by the Court of Royals or um, the Court, uh, released a statement uh, ahead of the game um, the same day basically saying that they don't want to welcome opposing plant fans to Rio Tinto stadium. Um, th- th- I have the statement in front of me that I-, I think part of the, the most controversial part of it is probably this part. Uh, they said, there's nothing we won't do in support of our team, our players and coaches. This also means that we want away teams to feel as uncomfortable as possible. Traveling supporters take away from what we hope to achieve within the confines of our fortress. We do not welcome them or their supporters into our home. Obviously, that got immediate backlash on, on social media. Uh, it was posted both on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, with, with me reading that, I, I immediately think that that could be interpreted as a call to violence. Um, it, it's a strange sentiment, regardless, coming from a new supporters group with an expansion team within the NWSL that should be wanting to grow its fan base uh, and grow and grow its spot within the, the league, um, kind of telling away supporters, we don't want anything to do with you. But but on the other side of that, I think it also can be interpreted as a call of violence. They had to then uh, clarify that it wasn't a call to violence, which is always a bad sign that you've probably released a statement you shouldn't have uh, if you have to clarify that. They then went on to later retract the statement. They they go they took it down. And this part I, I found as little. I, this part I, I think is where my hot take is going to come in a little bit more, but. In their second statement, they apologized um, for anything that seemed like was uh, trying to incite violence and, and the wording and, and um, of their original statement. But they also continue to say they no longer want to do tailgates. They still are standing by the fact that they don't want to do tailgates with away supporters. They, they don't want to uh, interact really with away supporters. They consider them, um, you know, they're the opposing team. And, and I think that really is counterproductive. Um, for, for a new fan group that can learn a lot from a fan group like the Riveters. Uh, Utah Royals, by the way, um, if you haven't read all the reports out there, the Thorns and Merritt Paulson and, and the Thorns organization was incredibly important in helping the Royals get off the ground and giving them all the information possible to show them how what they need to do to start an NWSL team. And so there's already this kind of built-in relationship between the two organizations, and yet this fan group, is coming out and basically saying we want nothing to do uh, with these supporters uh, who could potentially help us as we grow um, our own supporters group. Ultimately, the president of uh, the Utah Royal Supporters Group released a separate statement. I, I, it was more apologetic. It, it was more in the right tone. Um, but they didn't really address the, the fact that they had said that they don't want to do tailgates or, or associate with opposing supporters. So I hope that's something that as a fan group, they're going to look at and they're going to change. I, I, it sounds like they've gotten rid of the person uh, who was writing these posts. And that's a good step forward to, to not have someone um, that that's going to write those kind of posts on social media, working your social media. Uh, so that is growth. But I really think that they should think about 
you know, learning from other sports groups within the NWSL. This is a growing league. Uh, there's no reason to create enemies. I, I think all the teams, while you're going to support your team on the field, I, I think all the teams to some degree need to work together and try to support the league as a whole. And I, I think all those statements, when you're especially from a team that is showing some initial fan support, but definitely is going to want to grow more, it was really counterproductive to that cause. So it was very disappointing to see. I, I hope uh, we'll see better from the court in the long run. Yeah, you know, so I'm less up in arms, <laughs> up in arms. I'm not really up in arms about any of this. Uh, but I, you know, I, I I less object to the the stuff about tailgates because, you know what, I, I can see, I, I think it is cool when, when supporters of, of of teams come together before the game uh, and and sort of show and, and have a tailgate and, and mix together and, and, and talk and all that. I remember going to a game in Kansas City uh, supporting the Timbers, uh, and we had a great tailgate uh, with, 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 the, with the Kansas City supporters before the – with, with uh, sporting supporters. I called them the Wizards. I'm really old. That's why I'm retiring people. Uh, <laughs> uh, with SKC supporters before the game, uh, I think it was, and I think it was in fact even put on by the Cauldron, and it was great. It was awesome. They were they were lovely people. Uh, it was fun to, to 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 hang out and and, and to bond before the game. Uh, and it also, you know, I mean, it it sends an important message too. No, don't forget that. So you know, I mean, I I can see and and I very much buy into the positive uh, aspects of doing these kinds of tailgates. But you know what, if 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 supporters groups want to be competitive and don't want to do things like that, you know, that's not what, what, what I find truly objectionable. It's what I find objectionable is, and the, the, the initial statement did this in a really pretty egregious way. But when you start talking about opposing teams and opposing supporters as the enemy, that no, I, I mean, come on, let, let's take a step back for a second. This is sports. I mean, yes, they're they're you know fans of a rival team. Um, they're they're you know you don't have to have to like them, but I mean, my goodness, don't start throwing words around like the enemy. We have seen enough violence in sports because of things like this that we need to be vigilant about making sure that kind of garbage rhetoric doesn't come into the way we talk about our rivalries. If it's the thorns, look, rain supporters are not the enemy. The rain are not the enemy. They, you, you, you can chant, you know, all you want for, for, for 90 minutes, support your team. You can even, you know, yell at the other team, put them down, whatever, but they're not the enemy. And, and it's not something where we need to be talking about them like that. Same thing on, on, on the men's side. Look, I think this is something that, that supporters in a, in the United States and North America more broadly have generally done a pretty good job of. Uh, 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 in, in in soccer, but we've seen it in other places. Look, I mean, you know, I mean, what it was a it was a Giants Dodgers game uh, a few years ago where 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 a, a fan was killed. No, uh, he wasn't killed. Um, Brian was he not killed? Stowe was permanently experienced permanent brain uh, damage, and he was a he was I think a volunteer firefighter before then. I, he's thank you for uh, the direction. Yeah, 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 he has a lot of um. He's still working his way back, and he's probably never going to be the same. But he was permanently uh, permanent brain damage after being uh, essentially having his face thrown into the concrete, basically because he was wearing Giants clothes and right. Dodgers fans. And that was for me uh, exactly the 
the exact incident that came to my mind when I initially read the statement. I give them credit and I'll let you continue, but I give them credit for, um, you know, apologizing, taking it down, releasing multiple statements following this, which is why I got into some of the, the other statements. But yeah, the, the initial statement, when you start calling a team an enemy and anything where you have to clarify that you're not asking, you're not trying to incite violence, it is terrifying given what we've seen in England and given things like the giant Dodgers incident. I, I mean, you don't want to promote that in any way and potentially lead to a situation where a fan decides it's okay, even if that wasn't your attention, decides it's okay to suddenly uh, be violent. Right. Thank you for so. Thank you for that correction. Uh, that is important. But people have been killed <laughs> across the globe, yes. even even in the United States, uh, basically because of because they were a fan of of, of a particular team. And that is just a, I mean, it's just a road that we don't want to go down. That is a really, really, really ugly path. Uh, and I don't think the, 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 the court of Royals was trying to go down that path. I don't think they, they were, you know, trying to, uh, to incite violence, but they were doing something really incredibly reckless. Uh, and, and that's just not good. You just can't do it. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad to see that it, that they seem to have recognized this error. I'm glad to see, uh, that the, that fans basically across the country, uh, and supporters groups across the country were very quick, uh, to, to make this point, uh, and, 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 and to really emphasize that the, the, the sort of, you know, the, 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 the peaceful nature at very least, uh, of, of supporting uh, a team in, in NWSL. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, if anything else, a, a reminder that we need to consistently and, and, and always be careful about this kind of stuff, because if you're not, it's just far too easy to get sort of wrapped up in the emotion of supporting your team and take that too far. Okay. Mine is, is a lot less interesting. <laughs> Uh, Tuesday, that is yesterday, uh, as of this, as of the time we were talking, probably two days ago, as of the time you were listening, uh, or more perhaps, uh, was, was the end, the closing of the MLS primary transfer window. This every year, like kind of always takes me by surprise. It's always kind of like an, oh, oh, that's right. That's happening thing. Because what you have is you always have a flurry of activity before the season. And then it like, it doesn't fully stop. Like you get some signings in the first month plus of the season, but it really slows down. Diego Chara was one of those that came in during, during this period of time. Fernando Adi came in during this period of time, uh, but it really slows league wide. And then you get sort of this, this thing, the closing of the transfer window. And it like is always kind of a dud. There were actually some things this year. It was maybe <laughs> this is arguably a poorly timed uh, hot take because there were more things that happened that were interesting this year uh, than in years past. Lee Wynn, was traded from the New England Revolution uh, to LAFC. That is a big, big deal. Uh, there were a, a, a few international international signings. Um, there were there were, so there were a few things that happened. But even with this being a more active end of the primary transfer window than than perhaps usual, it was kind of a dud. It wasn't very interesting. Uh, and and so I think MLS should really look at. And there are, I'm sure, factors about this that go beyond my understanding of it. So I'm sure there are factors beyond when it would make the biggest splash, but I think MLS should really look at moving, moving sort of back or forward. I can't making it earlier, (laughs) making the end of the primary transfer window earlier. I think it should be 
either close to the roster compliance date uh, or, you know, sort of in that first week of the season. I think it, 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 it would sort of funnel uh, it, it would funnel that activity to that period of time. That would make those few weeks more exciting because there would be just a lot more happening because primarily it would create a bigger incentive for teams to really push to get deals done during that window. Uh, because if they didn't, they would have to wait four months until July for the window to reopen. Here it's like, ah, you know, we so we don't get the guy in for a couple months, misses six, seven, eight games, six or seven with the with uh, with the World Cup break, and and it's not, it's just not that big of a deal. So it ends up kind of landing with a dud. I think they should move it back to to early March. Uh, really create sort of a, a, a an exciting final push of a transfer window at the beginning of the season, and, and sort of drive that drama a bit, Jamie. You know, I really have not that opinionated on that. I, I, I think, sure. <laughs> that, that's how can... hot my, my <laughs> take is. You don't even care. <laughs> you can move it to March. You can create some drama. I, I think some people like you would be interested in that overall. I, I think the majority <laughs> of fans would not care specifically about there being a big window of drama um, happening in March. Um, or, or you can leave it in. You still have a little bit of drama, I think, before the beginning of the season uh, with a lot of things happening in January, February. Um, and then, yeah, you, you have players trickling in. Um, and, and I, I want that drama to come to a crescendo. Not I, I, a, I you know. will say, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, Fernando Adi and Diego Chara came in during this window. I, I would hate to see them move it back and have that lead to a, a few players not coming in that otherwise would have come in. Um, or, or something like that. And that not did, would not have necessarily happened in, in these cases, but if they can't get the deal done in time and, and then there's too much of a gap, maybe it does lead to a few players not being able to come to MLS. So I, that would be a little bit of a concern for me. And I'm not too, I don't really care too much about the drama, um, but, but I, I, I do see your point. Journalists don't <laughs> care about drama boring um okay well then hopefully uh you will n- you will be you know not happy with the timbers visit to the san jose earthquakes <laughs> because hopefully it will be very dramatic and very exciting and and ebenezer jamie over here uh will be ebenezer goldberg over here will be uh <laughs> will will just be shaking her journalistic fist uh at the tv screen uh, as all the fun is happening anyway the timbers do take on the quakes that's saturday at 7 30 jamie's not actually boring people uh, just you know just know that she's she's very fun uh but anyway timbers versus the earthquakes uh at the earthquakes that is down in san jose saturday 7 30 uh at avaya stadium tom wants to know if the timbers lose to the earthquakes are the doubters finally justified uh, in wondering about the the direction of this Timbers team, Jamie? Yeah, I, I think that if the Timbers lose to the Earthquakes, um, there will be a, a, the questions. I, I mean, there those questions will come up again. But the Timbers are coming off a, a very, very good performance against NYCFC. And so it's not... And when you look back, there has been a little bit of an upward trajectory, even though things haven't been perfect for them. And so given that they're coming off NYCFC, it would be hard to put to take this game and say, whatever happens here, that's how we define the timber season. When you saw that comprehensive performance and you saw what they're capable of doing and how tactically savvy Giovanni Savaresi was in that game. So I don't think so. I don't think that it's fair at this point, given what we've seen in the last few weeks to, to 
to say this game determines whether or not uh, the doubters will be justified. Um, but San Jose hasn't won since the first game of the season. They should be better at home. They they have some talented players. The Timbers historically have not done very well at San Jose. Um, so th- there's a lot of other factors that go into this game. Not I, I also don't think it's fair to say, oh, well, San Jose's bad. So if the Timbers lose, uh, that that's a that's a really terrible sign about where their season is going. Um but yeah, I, I mean, if they lose and if they lose in a bad way, if they concede some uh, some late goals again, I mean, there are going to be real questions. But coming off the the New York City FC game, I, I think the Timbers at least have bought themselves some time before we write off the season, even if they have a, another loss. Yeah, I think it's more about the the nature of any such loss than than it would be just about the the fact of losing. Look, I I actually think this San Jose team, and, and I think Gio said this yesterday in his in his press conference. The San Jose team is probably a little bit better than the one four and two record that they currently have. You're right; they're winless in six. That's not great. Uh, <laughs> granted, that's not great. Uh, but look, I mean, every one of those games has either been a one goal loss or a draw. So it's not like they're going and and getting their tokens kicked. Uh, they, you know, they went to Sporting Kansas City, pretty decent team, and lost three two. Competitive game there. They lost to NYCFC at home two one. Uh, you know, draw at Philadelphia 1-1, draw home to Houston 2-2. I mean, these aren't great results by any means. I don't think this is, I don't think San Jose is a playoff team. But look, if the Timbers go and they lose 2-1 uh, and the Timbers are are sort of in the game and competitive, it would be disappointing uh, points dropped, to be sure. Uh, I, I think it could certainly raise, you know, and, and be another instance of some of the questions that we've already had. But whether this would be the result that, that sort of said, okay, now you know all, all the doubters are are, are right, I, I I'm just doubtful. I mean, going on the road in MLS is challenging. Uh, the Timbers should have done better than they did uh, in their in their opening five game road trip, but it is it is nonetheless challenging. Uh, and I think this is a a competent, if you know, not quite good, uh, Earthquakes team. So, you know, I mean, we'll see how it, it plays out down there. The the Earthquakes can score. Vaco, I think, is a genuinely top 10 15 player uh in mls uh they they have some pieces in the attack that that can cause some problems uh the defense has been a bit suspect is fair to say and and has been inconsistent they shipped three to orlando trying to think of who else may have done that you know two two to houston two to columbus they've been giving up goals recently but they haven't been getting blown out of games so i i do think this is a competent san jose team and i'm not necessarily hitting the panic button if the timbers you know, don't get get a result out of it. Uh, San Jose is going to be largely healthy going into the game. Uh, the biggest question for them, and it looks like he's unlikely to play, is Jefferson Quintana, uh, their center back. It looks like Francois Althoffer will take his place uh, in central defense uh, for the Earthquakes. Uh, Althoffer is uh, a, you know, I mean, he's, he's started plenty of MLS games starting last year, uh, if I remember right. I may be misremembering that entirely, but he's, you know, I mean, it's not like they're, they're, they're significantly weakened in center back. He's not super athletic, but he is a guy that, that can competently play. So uh, we'll see how it goes. I, you know, I think I've used the word competent multiple times in describing San Jose. And I think that's about right. I think they're competent, if not that good. Um, Thorns at Royals. Let's talk about the actual game and not the fans at, at the game. Uh, our predictions, one of them was pretty, 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 pretty good. If I say so myself. Uh, it was not yours. You called a 1-0 Thorns win uh, with an Emily Sonic goal. Meh. Um, I called a 1-1 draw with a Lindsey Horan 
Redemption Equalizer. It was Tobin Heath that got the equalizer. Uh, but nonetheless, I got the the result. I got the score. And I also got the fact that the Thorns would would be coming back, would be equalizing in, in, in the game. Uh, Jamie, how many points do I deserve? I really have to rack up the points the next few weeks, by the way. Because hey. uh, I've got to build myself a nice cushion in order to survive <laughs> all those weeks. But I'm just going to be racking up zeros for, for not participating. Well, you know, I... I, I did give out the points last week, and I feel like if you're going to rack up some points, you should you should have the right to give out a few of them. I mean, don't don't take that, to, don't be fair, but I, I think you should call this one. Okay, uh, I am going to go ahead for predicting that the Thorns would score one goal. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you two point seven three points uh, for getting result, score, and sort of the the sequence of the goals for the teams. I'm going to go ahead and give myself twenty two point one seven points. Fair. It's a little high, but okay. Oh, a little high. Come on. You were just saying that I got to, that I got to pad my scores a I little know, bit. I know, but I didn't think you'd had it that much. You, you, <laughs> I, okay. I, I, I'd be giving you less for the Haran redemption equalizer. I know you got equalizer in there, but Haran. I, not I, I gave myself zero for the Haran part because that was wrong. I know, but I, <laughs> mostly, it was mostly for the result for both calling the result and the score, which is like, you know, I mean, that's something. All right. Well, maybe I shouldn't have given away my. You de- oh, you, you definitely shouldn't have. That was a huge <laughs> mistake. That was a huge error. Um, okay, so let's just start with the big question. Uh, I, I mean, from the Thorns' perspective, do you think they should be pleased or di- pleased with you know taking the point out of the game against the Royals uh, or disappointed the, that they let a couple get away? I, I think they should be disappointed. And the reason for that, um, they did come back. That it Obviously, you, you oftentimes feel more optimistic when you, you come back from a 1-0 deficit and manage to get points, especially on the road. But the Thorns have now conceded three goals in a row, their last three goals, um, and, and they have dropped points in two of those games because they, they've had bad defensive errors. It's been their fault. Um, it, it's not one particular thing that's getting away from them, but they've been bad individual mistakes in, in a key moment, and they've been punished for that. And so because of that, I, I think they have to be disappointed. And on top of that, I, I think they have to be a little bit concerned. Um, Mark Parsons said this week, you know, you don't want to overemphasize that because you don't want to get in players' heads. And that's fair. They're not. There's not any one problem. They're not struggling with set pieces or, or, or struggling uh, on the right side of the field or, or with certain types of shots or anything like that. But even if they don't want to overemphasize it, um, it is something that ultimately they need to find a way to correct because they've given away uh, a potential win in each of the last two games by giving away a goal. And they luckily came back and got the win against Orlando, but they gave away the opening goal um, by an individual mistake. So, so this is becoming a concerning trend for the Thorns. I think that's very fair to say this is becoming a concerning trend for the Thorns. The one thing I will note, though, is they're not doing it a ton. It's not like they're conceding multiple goals per game this way. They've conceded one in each of in each of the last three, and 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 it you know I mean it absolutely has hurt them. Look, I mean it, it's been four points that. Uh, that but for these sort of glaring individual errors, uh, they would have. Uh, and, and so and that is absolutely not nothing. I mean, they, that four points will almost certainly be the difference. Uh, you know, I'm not saying the Thorns won't catch up and, and nonetheless be there, but four points will almost certainly be the difference between a home playoff game and not between winning the shield and not. Uh, and so that's, you know, I mean, that's really, really notable. That's the, that's important. 
but they are on, they are not doing it such that they're conceding multiple goals per game. And, and I think when you look at sort of the expected overall defensive performance against the expected overall attacking performance, the defense is probably holding up more of its end, its end of, uh, of the bargain overall than the attack is right now. Given there are very good reasons why the attack uh, ha- has been uh, has been suppressed a bit because, well, they've largely been injured. Uh, and so it's been very much sort of a duct tape kind of operation uh, in the attack for that Mark Parsons has had to put together over the course of this first part of the season. But nonetheless, I mean, I mean, you know, if the Thorns go about only conceding one goal per game for the rest of the season, they're going to win a lot, a lot, a lot of those games, even on the road. Uh, and they're going to win the vast majority of, of them at home. So, you know, I, I think it is fair to, to say they've got to clean up these individual mistakes. I'm sure that's what they're talking about uh, at training. I'm sure uh, that is on their mind. But I, I also think Mark's point is is worthwhile that you don't want to blow that too far out of perspective and, and, and needlessly sort of undermine players' confidence. Um, I think overall the defense is, has performed reasonably well. Um, and you know, I mean, it, 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 to that end, I guess I, I kind of fall in the middle, uh, as far as this result in, in Salt Lake city goes, you know, look, I mean, as we talked about before the game, it's not like the Royals are a bad team. <laughs> maybe, they're, maybe they're like the earthquakes who we just talked about, uh, where they're certainly a competent team. They're not a team that ships a, a ton of goals. Uh, and so the, the fact that the thorns were able to break through is, is good. Um, the thorns looked better as the game went along as, as they got a couple more players, uh, you know, sort of regular starters back into the game. And, and, and so, you know, to, to that extent, I, I guess I kind of fall in the middle where you say, all right, you know, it's a point, not overly disappointed, not overly, overly pleased, could have gone better, also could have gone worse. Uh, and I think it's one that, that you sort of take and, and, and move on in the next week. So, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see if, if this trend continues. But as I said, if they if they're only conceding one goal per game, by and large, that is a pretty darn good defense. Uh, and, and that is a defense with which the Thorns can certainly win trophies. Um, Andresinha, she made her debut coming on uh, around the hour mark, if, if my memory, I'm not looking at it at the moment, serves me correctly. What were your thoughts on her performance uh, over the course of her Thorns debut? Yeah, I, I thought she did well. Um, I, I think she definitely, you could see a, a difference with her coming on. I, I think she provided something in the midfield. Um, that, that I believe Celeste is the one that came off her that just doesn't. I, I think she has just a lot of talent and is a player that's going to continue to develop over time and a player that both is good as a central midfielder, but is also interested in trying to attack and can, can get forward and, and cause a little, some problems in the attack and maybe, you know, get some shots off from, from distance. And she's not afraid to do that. Um, I thought overall this performance from her w- was a pretty good debut, but I think we're going to see a lot more from her over time. I mean, I'm optimistic about this signing. This you, I don't want to read too much into just the, whatever it was 30 minutes. Um, but I think from what we saw from her in this debut, from what we've seen with her with Brazil and what we've seen with her past in the NWSL, I'm excited to see when she gets up to closer to 60, if, if not 90 minutes uh, what she's going to be doing for the Storms midfield. Yeah, which seems likely to be this weekend, by the way. Uh, You would certainly think she would be in the starting lineup and and playing at least a good chunk of this game uh, against the rain. But I agree. I mean, I I thought she was basically as advertised. Uh, You know, I mean, she brings some bite to the midfield defensively. She is excellent in possession and can create some plays. Frankly, I mean, it it was was both that bite and, and a little bit of that creative ability. 
that sprung uh, that equalizer that, that Tobin Heath uh, ultimately put in. So, you know, I, I, I thought she uh, she provided everything you would have hoped uh, she would provide to that Thorns midfield. Uh, I thought just over the course of that last half hour, the Thorns looked, you know, I mean, you know, toward the end of the game, I, I thought it was at, at least as likely that the Thorns were going to find a winner uh, that the Royal than uh, the Royals were going to find a winner. So I, I think that's a fair way to put it. And I think Andre Senior was uh, an awfully big part of that. As noted, Tobin Heath, she got the equalizer uh, and, and she got it in in ah, everybody uses the word cheeky. Stop using cheeky. Cheeky is over. It is done with. Uh, but nonetheless, she got it in in pretty impressive fashion with a very very nice little chip uh, over the goalkeeper to 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 level the match. Uh, what do you think? Do you think this is a sign for that Tobin, uh, with her thirty plus minutes herself, uh, that she's back? I, I think it's a sign that we're we're getting closer uh, to getting uh, Tobin and to, for her to be back. Um, but I think the good side, the, the, the really exciting thing is no, I, I don't think she's completely back. I, I mean, I think she's on the track. I think she's fully healthy and I, I think she's on track to, to be, to get up to full fitness and be the Tobin that we saw in, in 2016 before this massive injury. Um, but I think it is going to take time for her to get up to that point. I think it's a very good sign that we're already seeing what we saw from her in this game. We're seeing a, a goal like that, um, a confidence boost and just something exciting for Thorns fans to see, but yeah, she, she has more to offer and, and she's already, I think, capable, um, even though she's maybe not 90 minutes fit yet, already capable of adding a lot to this lineup. Uh, but it's going to get better. I expect it to get better and better over time, which is really exciting. I definitely agree that she has quite a bit more to offer sort of over the course of her performance. Uh, but look, I mean, you know, I, that that is a goal that took that took sort of. Uh, the kind of signature Tobin Heath touch magic uh, the, that we've become used to seeing o- over the years. We did not see a ton of it uh, the week before uh, against the Spirit, and we did at least see one moment of it. And we saw a few moments of it, but we saw one spectacular moment of it uh, against the Royals. If we do start seeing more and more as she just gets back into form, uh, as I certainly expect we will, that is that is something very, very exciting for the Thorns. And, and so, you know, I, I agree with you entirely. She's not back back, back, back yet, but she's coming back. And, and I think that is uh, an enticing little flash uh, to see in, in a game and, and an important little flash. It ultimately earned the Thorns a point and denied the Royals a couple. Uh, Thorns versus Rain, that is Saturday at 1230. That's going to be at Providence Park, the the rivalry match uh, between Portland and Seattle, the first one of the season. Jamie Goldberg, do we have any injury updates or, or availability updates now going forward for the Thorns in that game? Yeah, the big one for that specific game is that it looks well. That it, that Megan Klingenberg, they are hopeful that she will be back for that game. She was dealing with the abdominal strain during the Washington match, um, and she aggravated that. Uh, she missed the Washington match, came back for the Utah match, aggravated, and had to leave the game. Uh, the Thorns. She wasn't in training on Tuesday, but the Thorns felt as if she would hopefully be at a point where she could be in this game Saturday. So. Uh, that's not a guarantee, but it definitely looks possible that Klingberg could be back in there, which would obviously be good for the Thorns. Um, this isn't for the Seattle game, but important to note that Emily Menges returned to training this week. Uh, so that's a big step. Um, and I think it's right tibia stress syndrome, uh, that she's been dealing with. Um, she hasn't played this year. She returned to training. Mark said, Mark Parsons said that he wants to see a full two weeks from her in training before deciding, what it looks like in, in terms of her coming back in the game. So 
the earliest I think we could see her would be the Orlando game, but that that's that I would not assume she's going to be in there. They're going to evaluate her ahead of the Orlando game. And if these two weeks have gone great, yes, she could be in there. It, it could be a little bit longer, but it's a big, uh, a big step for her to be able to be back in training. I, I think some of the other injuries were, were at the same point. I mean, Haley Rosso, Adriana French, they're out for a month. Um, and so we'll have to get updates. Bella Geist also wasn't in training again this week. Um, so I will have to get more of an update on that. Um, but, but I don't expect the goalkeeper situation to change uh, in this match. So it is, it is not only a, a big game as far as rivalry, but also a, a game between two teams uh, near each other in the table. The Thorns on eight points through five games, the, the Rain on seven points through four games. Uh, so that is notable. It is also notable for the return of Allie Long and Jody Taylor uh, to and Providence Michelle Park. Betos. And Michelle Betos, of course. Oh, thank you. I can't believe I almost forgot that. And Michelle Betos to, to Providence Park. For, so for those who love the hashtag narratives, as we know journalists do. Uh, there are plenty of them in, in, in this game uh, to, to look forward to. What are you expecting to see uh, from the Thorns in, in this one? Do you think we will see uh, Tobin for 60 minutes, Andre Senior for 60 minutes uh, going forward? Yeah, I, I think that is a good bet based on uh, where those players should be at. I, I think it's likely to see uh, around 60 minutes. Um, we'll see if it's more, um, but I, I don't expect it to be less. Uh but I, I mean, I, I guess we'll see how the progression has gone along. I, I think this will be a difficult game. I, I think there are two teams that have done very well, particularly in the midfield. Um, and obviously, there's going to be a lot of emotion uh, with the, the return of the three players you mentioned. So I, I'm expecting an exciting game uh, for, from these two teams. Definitely a hard-fought one. Uh, but I, I'm glad this one's on Lifetime because I, I think this is the sort of hopefully the sort of showcase uh, the NWSL wants on national TV. That central midfield is going to be so much fun, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you, you've, you've got Lindsay Hurin, you've got Andrew on one side, you've got Allie Long, Jess Fishlock on the other. That is going to be a really, really fun matchup yeah. uh, between uh, between those those units in that game. So uh, that'll be one of the things I'm keeping my eye on, in, you know, in addition to, you know, the actual game. Uh, let's go ahead and predict it. That's where we're at. Predictions, Thorns versus Rain. Jamie Goldberg, what's your call? Uh, I'm going to predict uh, that the Thorns are going to win this one one to nothing. Um, and I am going to predict <laughs> a Heath uh, is going to score in back-to-back games. I changed my score line in, on the mental notes originally, so I had to make it adjustment <laughs> there. Yes, 1-0 Tobin Heath goal is what you're calling. Uh, I'm going 2-1. I, I, I think <laughs> going back to I mean, sort of flipping the script from our discussion earlier, uh, I'm not super confident that they're going to be able to keep the, the clean sheet, but nonetheless, I think they're going to be able to create a couple just because of what they're getting back in midfield and in the attack in attack attack uh in Tobin Heath and Andres Uh so I think uh, the Thorns will be a little bit more potent going forward uh I think uh Serna Gorsevich is going to get her opener for the Thorns uh as one of her goals and that is my side bet that she will score one of the goals uh and the Thorns will take all three points by the score of 2-1 Timbers Quakes what do you call Jamie you said earlier, I don't like uh, exciting games, so uh, I'm going <laughs> to stick with that idea. Uh, I'm going to call a 0-0 draw. Uh, not going to be the highlight uh, that the Thorns game potentially is going to be, um, but just for fun. I, I don't know if this is going to happen, but if it does, I, I feel like I, I'm going to get a substantial amount of points. I'm going to say that Jeff Adnella is going to stop a penalty kick. 
Right. I've got to shoot. I've got to aim for the stars a little bit too. And, and so I'm going with that, uh, with my, for that in my side bet. Um, my primary bet, not super exciting. I'm calling a one, one draw. I do think the Timbers get a point out of this. Uh, I think the Timbers get a goal out of this. Uh, I do not expect them to keep a clean sheet for the second week in a row. Uh, so I think, I think the, they'll come away with a point and which would be a, an acceptable point. Uh, in, in the grand scheme of things. But I do, I'm going to say that Christian Paredes is going to be the guy that's going to score the goal for the Timbers uh, to level the match uh, and, and to get that point. So that's my call. Fantasy update, the top three. Uh, Racing Club Day, M something, that is Baumgartner uh, in third place with 815 points. FC Lauren, that is Kaplan with 828 and then in the top spot, Beer City FC still uh, with a huge gap now, 868 points, a 40-point cushion atop the league. I am in 30th uh, with 669 points. Uh, Jamie Goldberg, you're in last place because you don't play. Um, we are Soccer Made in Portland. You can find us every week on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. You can subscri- subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, that is Jamie Goldberg. My name is Chris Reifer. Uh, thank you all for your questions this week. Uh, as all, and also thank you for tuning in because we always appreciate that. Uh, don't, don't hesitate to send us questions down the road in the future. Enjoy the thorns against the rain and the timbers visiting the earthquakes. We will be back here. To talk about all that and more next week. And until then, as always, take care.